Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay, girls. This stinks. Oh, sorry. Not you. Them. Him. Her. Alone. What's wrong with that? I can see what's happening. What? And they don't have a clue. Who? They'll fall in love, and here's the bottom line. Our trio's down to two. Oh. The sweet caress of twilight. There's magic everywhere. And with all this romantic atmosphere, disasters in the air. I'm your host, Stella, and this is Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 17 for February, MMXI. 
Kimberly Rockmore, your Watchtower News correspondent, is unfortunately out with a worse cold than I currently have. Episode 17 is brought to you by The Gumby Walk. Hey guys, looking to impress the girls and get a date for Valentine's Day? Learn The Gumby Walk. Order The Gumby Walk for people with skeletons on two DVDs, and in four weeks, you too can walk like Gumby. Slink, slide, and wobble your way into every lady's heart. No case is hopeless. If you order before Valentine's Day, we will send you the bonus DVD, How to Kiss Like Gumby for People with Lips Made of Flesh. No more fishy kisses. Learn from the master. Gumby Walk. Made of clay is A-OK. Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. An example of the price you may encounter is Detective Comics number 415 from 1971 in very good condition for $13.05. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are April's Batgirl number 20 and Birds of Prey number 11, both for $2.69. So, if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Okay, so I kind of got a little scratchy throat. You know, it's kind of one step below a sore throat. Um, I'm actually, you know, thanks be to God that I haven't been sick, knock on wood, uh, up to this point. Um, You know, with all the kids and they get really sick and touching things that you touch like doorknobs and white uh whiteboard markers. So I've been I've been very blessed in that category. So just kind of pounding back the uh the vitamin C and getting ready. I'm about to take a trip to Utah to go snowboarding with my friends, so I want to be 100% for that. But I did, you know, just wanted to to hammer this episode out because um well it's a very exciting month and want to get everything squared away so it'd be a nice transition and Transition for what, so you may be asking, but I'll get to that later. Oddly, I never talked about Christmas gifts that I received. I think it was just kind of all in that that rage that I was in last month that I just did not go over it. I was just kind of in a complaint mode. Um, so Christmas gifts. I love Christmas, and you know, it's not because of the gift, but you know what Christmas really means, um, the real reason for the season, and and just getting together, having this ability to uh, not worry about outside things like uh, a job or school, but just be with your family and actually have that kind of wonderful fellowship time. I got a few ornaments. Um, I think hopefully you knew. I think I told you that uh, for my birthday I received the Harley Quinn ornament, so I was pretty excited about that. I did get my uh, Spider-Man ornament as well, dueling with the Green Goblin. A couple other ornaments. Um, I received a Looney Tunes one, uh, and now, for the life of me, I cannot recall which one it was. Um, I had been collecting Looney Tunes up to this point, and um, after a while, it's just sort of the same ones over and over again, always bugs and everything. So now, if my mom does get me one, it's usually one of the uh, the off-ball characters. Um, I'm pretty sure I got the kind of the red behemoth. I can't remember his name. You know, he he parts his hair and he's. He's red and and fuzzy. Uh, I did get a couple moose ornaments, which 
you know, I collect the moose. And I received uh, a book that I've been looking for for a couple years now on my huge book list, The Holy Barbarians. Um, and this book basically is about the uh, the the beatnik generation. Um, kind of another look at it. You know, I've read On the Road uh, with Jack Kerouac and... I read uh, the Kool-Aid acid test, so just another one kind of to add to the repertoire, but this was like kind of a holy grail for me because it had been out of printing and it's very tough to find, so I was pretty excited about that. And then I also received the complete Batman Beyond animated series, which I just had finished a couple days ago watching it on DVD, and it was just wonderful to revisit those again. Um, And then I actually, online, I won an eBay auction, the complete animated series for Batman. So now I'm watching those, kind of going in reverse order, but pretty excited about that. But of course, this is the, the month of love. So even though we will not be able to review um, the next Batgirl, which is of course the one that Brian Q. Miller teased while he was on here, um, I would like to wish you a happy Valentine's Day um, or Singles Awareness Day if you are like myself. Um, but you know, don't get down. You know, I thought, well, I can just go home and I don't know, eat ice cream and watch watch a movie. But I'm actually, I was proactive and I just, you know, called my my best friend up and said, let's just, you know, um, go see a movie, you know. Celebrate, I guess, this single life together. So we're going to hang out. So even if you are single, do something, get out, who knows. And I guess that's it. You know, I will try not to uh, bring too much of my outside school life in there now. Kind of just needed one of those uh, those sessions. Those you-know-what sessions, but I don't really curse on here, so I'll let you fill in the blank. But, you know, let's just get into it, it's, you know, instead of um, just hopping around. We do actually have some comments and questions that came in. So we'll start with the questions, and then we'll move into the comics, and then I do have some news as well, which I feel like this podcast has been sorely lacking for a little bit, so uh, let's just get started. So first from Michael Billy, a question occurred to me as I was reading Batgirl number 16, the use of the phrase Team Batgirl, which you also repeated in your commentary. Is this something new being introduced, a concept of Batgirl as an almost composite identity, i.e. Stephanie, Barbara, and Wendy, I think, as in Super Friends? That's actually a really good point, kind of this, yeah, uh, idea of Team Batgirl. Um, And I don't know if it's just one identity, but the way I kind of read it um, is that Batgirl is kind of like the forefront of it, um, the main identity. So Stephanie is there, and then Oracle and uh, Proxy are just kind of um, supplementary to her and and backup. Um, And whether this is the way it should be or not. I don't know if I could really comment on that. I I think it's nice that Stephanie, who uh, up to this point, her heroism status, I think, kind of fluctuated and and went back and forth. So it's nice that she has, um, she's kind of the lead of the team, and then she has a support system. And I think she's definitely the figurehead of the team. She may not be the most experienced, and I think you'd still have to defer to Babs on both sides of that. Um, but, yeah, I would say instead of everyone being thought of as Batgirl, I think it's more you've got Batgirl, and then you have her support system, her her teammates there. Okay, 
Uh, Noctis, he says, what issues should Babs work on this year? Well, Noctis, what are you saying? That Babs is not perfect? I'm shocked at you. Shocked. Uh, but he continues, so I'll, I'll answer this later. One issue that I personally would want her to address to Babs' uh, relationship with Charlie and Cass. We saw that Babs has included Charlotte Charlie Gage Radcliffe, a.k.a. Misfit, on her Cord Tower welcome list. Since Babs has gotten her birds back together and in shape, should we expect to see Babs patch things up with Charlie? Also, how do you think Charlie would react if she meets with Babs again, knowing that Babs abandoned her and then instead of taking her back as her charge and becoming her mentor again, she took on Steph as her new charge and hero in training? And like Cassandra, Babs has never shown in either, or is never shown, I suppose, in either Birds of Prey or Batgirl that she's keeping tabs on her previous protégés. Another if issue, if you didn't already address it in your reviews, is why isn't Cassandra's name on Barbara's welcome list to the core tower? This one particular issue has been bothering me to the point where I can never summon up enough nerve to read the Birds of Prey and Batgirl issues that I had since December. I know this might be a small matter to many people, but for me, as the Cassandra Cain fan that you know I am, the fact that she welcomes both Charlie and Steph, who is a given, but not Cass, her very first protege, I found that very, very insulting. If you could please share some insight on this and maybe shine some reason as to why Gil Simone and DC did this, it'll be very much appreciated because, quite frankly, and pardon my French, just thinking about it pisses me the hell off. <laughs> I hope you understand my frustration in this matter and forgive me if I am being too blunt. Okay, so we kind of had several questions there. So the first one, what issues do I think Babs needs to work on and this may come as a shock but I almost think that Babs needs to work on her mentoring role or her role as mentor um, and I mean we, we just really haven't seen what is she doing I mean she kind of had a couple workout sessions with Wendy in the very beginning first year um, in the like one through six in that area uh, but we haven't really seen it much up to then maybe some tech stuff going on in her classroom I recall that but really how is she helping her because it really seems like now we're leading to the point where Babs is probably going to leave at some point and Proxy's going to be that main backup that main support system for uh, Stephanie so how is Babs making that transition easier for um for Stephanie and for Proxy, really. Um, and really, I don't think we've seen too much of the Stephanie Batgirl, uh, I'm sorry, Stephanie Babs training, or, um, you know, it's just been head-to-mouth kind of communication, and, you know, this is what you need to do, but I think that it'd be really great for them to sit down and um, Babs go through, this is kind of how an intelligent person um looks at the evidence and analyzes it and then maybe even has a training session with her. So I think the mentoring role, I, I would just like to see what Babs is doing to actually train them. Because, you know, yeah, Stephanie's had a past and everything and she's most likely been trained a little bit by Batman and then, of course, she probably did it on her own. Um, but I think that this is more of a controlled um, environment that she's in right now and a little less dysfunctional than she's been used to so I think that would be that would be my uh, 
my big thing that I would like to see if if uh, if it's true as you're um, assuming that Babs is not perfect, which it's really hard for me to believe. But yeah, we will. Okay, we'll end there. Okay, the the yes, Misfit. Misfit is such an interesting character, and I am somewhat glad that I have not had the pleasure of seeing her yet. Will they patch things up? I honestly have no idea. Um, if it happens, it would be extremely awkward to happen in Batgirl. I could see that being an interesting storyline, and I definitely know that um, Brian Q. Miller could write that quite well. If she came on randomly in the Birds of Prey, that would be awful, because she does not have the capabilities that the other team members do. So I just don't think that would work out. Um... Well, what would you do if you met somebody uh, that abandoned you? I mean, she's probably hurt. Uh, she'd be angry. Um, but in the end, I mean, hopefully she would realize that, okay, maybe this wasn't for me. And the right person is in the cow that needs to be in the cow. I have, I don't know, I have trouble believing that this is going to happen. Um, because, yeah, we've not really seen any interactions with with Cassandra. So if we haven't seen Cassandra, then I don't know if we're going to see Misfit in this new era of, of bat people. Yes, I did notice the fact that Cassandra was not on this list. And actually, while I was reading that and looking at it and investigating it closely, I thought, you know, wow... What would Noctis say right now if he were next to me? Um, well, first of all, I'm sorry, because uh, I know that must be really, really frustrating. I honestly have no idea. <clears throat> I don't think that it's a slip uh, that Brian did. Um, I just don't think that really anything that is written is an accident. Unless, of course, it may happen in Amazing Spider-Man, but we won't get into that. Um... To be honest, I don't know. Um, my naive unicorns and rainbow self likes to believe that there is some sort of higher plan for Cassandra and that DC has some sort of hands-off, um, con I don't know, just hands-off uh, motion on her and nobody can touch her except for maybe Red Robin, um or if there's just something going on that we have no idea. I think this will be a, a good thing to ask uh, Brian Q. Miller uh, when he comes back on again. Um, but, you know, I, I can't even say if he would know, because, I, you know, the last conversation that we had, you know, he did what he could do, and, um, you know, he hasn't really... Um, I don't know, he doesn't have that much freedom with her, and, and that's not his, his greatest concern. I mean, Stephanie's the big concern for him. Um, it would be awesome to see Cassandra somehow come to the birds. I think that she would have a good place there. Um, it would be tricky, but I think it would manage. But if that will happen, I have no idea. All I can say is that I really hope that she does somehow uh, come back to the Bat family on a more permanent basis and all of this stuff um, maybe it'll be like a terrible nightmare for us when she comes back it'll be so wonderful and uh, you'll say well all those months that I you know had terrible nights and 
terrible mornings and didn't want to read my comic books, I'm okay now. But I don't know if that time will ever come. But thank you, always, Noctis, uh, for your support and your awesome questions. They're real thinkers. Um, very rude of me that I just never mentioned, even though it's on my website, that Noctis has created the Cassandra Kane um, network. And uh, it's just a wonderful uh, website that he, he goes into reviews, appearances, he has little moments, um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, weekly dosages of trivia. So I definitely suggest going on there. You can either get to there on my website uh, via a link or go to CassCaneNetwork.blogspot.com. Okay, and finally... We have TNR 105. To the lovely Miss Stella, I would like to take this opportunity to beg slash plead slash ask you to cover Batman No Man's Land. I recently read the novelization by Greg Rucka. Not only did the series give a deep look into Babs' psyche and what makes her tick, but it also introduced Cassandra Kane and gave us Huntress's brief tenure as Batgirl. This is particularly interesting, as at this time Babs could not stand Helena and was deeply offended. But then she later accepts she has to move on and passes the torch on to Cass. It was an important point in the history of the Batgirl mantle and, quite frankly, was freaking awesome. Perhaps we could have a guest spot from Mike Bailey. He has stated numerous times he loves the story and falls into his nothing but the 90s podcasting criteria. Oh, it falls into it, yes. So will you be covering this in the future? Babs has a pivotal role. It would please the cast fans out there and also gives Babs the closure she needed to for her character to progress. So will you please consider it? As it added incentive, this is where the modern Dick Babs started to go full force. Um, and this is, of course, yeah, his first series of questions. I definitely, you know, I've heard about this. I know that it's one of Noctis's favorite stories, if not the favorite um, story, as in the novelization. And it's a big moment in the history of um, of Batgirl as well as Babs. So definitely, I will. Um, be looking at this. Uh, it seems like so far off, though. What was that about? Ninety-nine, and right now I'm in nineteen seventy-one. So I'm I'm uh, twenty-eight years away. But you know, I'm getting there slowly but surely. Um, yeah, it'd be awesome. You know, if if uh, Michael were up to it, he would definitely um, have a place here. He'll actually be on um, sooner than that when we get. I believe 1975 there are a series of Superman issues uh, that I would like to go over with him. So you may see him on sooner than that. But yeah, I will, I mean, there's no need to uh, to beg me. I will, I'll have to definitely look at this. I, I, I received a $40 Barnes & Noble gift card from a student, which aka is probably most likely the parent, and I'll have to look for it at Barnes and Noble and then and then buy it. So I've heard many good things about this and I'm interested. Okay, and then he continues, Now that I've got the begging out of the way, I have two questions for you. You have made it quite clear that you are a Dick Bab supporter. What? How could you tell? And that you do not care for Starfire. Is the relationship the only reason why Babs is your preferred green-eyed redhead, or is there more to your dislike for the character, aside from the cheesecake-ness of the skimpy costume and oversized tatas? Well... 
I think the relationship is the big reason. I'm just like, okay, I, I believe in my heart that Dick and Babs belong together. And that anything that gets in the way of this, uh, be it uh, things that have been going on in the Spider-Man crawl space, I will not mention this, or if it's Starfire, I, I just don't like it. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I don't like characters that are overly, I don't know, how would you even describe this? <sighs> overly wet dreamish who knows you know i'm not the biggest fan of of power girl even though she had i don't know if she still does such a big role i mean she was the leader of the justice society when it first rebooted i suppose you could say um in 2005 or so but still i mean even though i can respect that i just was not a fan so yeah the big tatas and the I don't know, some, some of her actions, you know, the, the particular stories that I've read her in, which had her doing things with Dick, I just didn't like it. Um, but, you know, to tell you the truth, I when I watched Teen Titans, you know, I was a fan. I thought, oh, Starfire and, and, and Robin. So, you know, I do admit that, but, you know, she was just really innocent there. And um, I think at that point when I was watching it, I, I wasn't as zoned in to the Dick and Babs relationship. Everything kind of uh, snowballed after after that period. So, oh, yes, any enemy of the Dick and Babs relationship um, is an enemy of mine. Okay, and then his final question. How do you think Babs' life would have gone if she were never paralyzed? What if she looked through the peephole before Joker entered and shot her and was able to either escape out a window or fight him off Batgirl style? Would we still get Cass and Steph? Also, would she still have the awesome characterization we have today? <sighs> I think it would be completely different, um, in my opinion. I don't think she would have run away uh, after seeing Joker, uh, especially since her father was there. And uh, I believe he was anyways. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Remember, I haven't read this story. And beating him up Batgirl style, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I think Babs, you know, she's a positive person in Bruce's life, just like um, uh, Dick is. And... I think that she is the type of person that would have given up the cowl at some point anyways. Uh, you know, that, okay, it's time to move away. I've done what I can. I'm going to live a normal life. Um, so on the one side, I think she would have given it up. Um, you know, a nice happy ending. Perhaps she did uh, marry uh, Dick Grayson and, you know, they had kids. Kind of in the same vein as that fan-made YouTube video. On the other side... I think that she would have at least grown up from the Batgirl cowl. I think just like Dick grew up from the Robin and moved into the Nightwing, I think that she would have had some more mature role. Um, I really, you know, I love her as Batgirl. Um, but her characterization, looking at, you know, the wonderful thing about this podcast, um, for me anyways, you know, not to be like, bragging or proud or anything it's just that I'm learning so much and I can take the time to look at these vintage issues and see really flesh out the character and see what is she like and comparing her you know in the past 67 to 71 right now and then this future it's 
so stark a change and it's wonderful to have this dynamic character but she doesn't you know grow too much in the in the in the old issues right now and i think she's done a great amount of or a great deal of growing from 1985 onwards in oracle and i you know kind of begrudging uh, begrudgingly give her that because you know I love her being Batgirl but she does fulfill such a great purpose as Oracle um, and I think it's wonderful just that she is this wonderful kind of like the needle um, for the, the superhero community and she takes all these threads which are the superheroes and really ties them together and I think that's just awesome uh, so it would definitely be completely different. Um, either she would give it up and kind of go on and have a normal life, probably still connected somehow with the heroes, but not taking on an identity. Um, but if she were to stay in the mask, I think that she would graduate from the back role and and either take on that Oracle role or be more of a, a Nightwing-esque uh, role. Okay, so that's it for the questions. Thank you so much, TNR105. That was great. I do have some comic, uh, comments that I received via email. First from Cool B. Uh, cool B says, Hi, Stella. I'm a fairly new listener to the podcast, and I just finished getting caught up with all the episodes last night at work. Wow. I wonder how many he listened to there. Sadly, this now means I have to wait like everyone else for new episodes. I just wanted to write in and say I'm really enjoying the show. I thought the interview you did with Brian Q. Miller was well done and professional. I also enjoyed the first Babs in the Tube segment and look forward to more. Also, just as an appreciation for all you do as a teacher, thank you. Keep up the awesome job and keep flying on, Babs Lover. Cool B. Thank you so much, Cool B, uh, from the bottom of my heart. Not only... That last statement, seriously, um, just thanking me as a teacher, I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, if you're still a student or, you know, you've kind of grown up and you're beyond that, just and everyone really respect your teachers and just know all the stuff that they, they go through for you. So thank you for that. Um, and I know I have two very good colleagues that would also very much appreciate that. And thanks for you know, listening to all this, for me, jumble, jambling, I don't know, what what is this, uh, rambling on, I suppose, for an hour each episode, each month, so this is, this is episode 17, so you've lasted for 16, and I really appreciate that, and I appreciate that from all of you, I hope you're enjoying it, and, and I'm having fun, and enjoying doing this, and the Babs in the Tube, I'm glad that went over well. I wasn't sure, um, you know, kind of still have to flesh it out and see how it's working, but I really enjoy going through these, these episodes. I wish I could watch them with you all. I think that'd be a fun experience. And as for the interview, I'm glad you like that as well. I, I don't know, I'm really kind of anal retentive when it comes to this just because I do want to seem really professional. So when I email, um, you know, a proposition, would you like to come on? I, I, I state everything, you know, what this show is, and I would have everything set up for you, all the questions lined up, and, and send it to you ahead of time so it wouldn't be kind of like Barbara Walters on the spot. You don't know what's going on. So I'm just very, very um, specific and particular about everything, and he has agreed. I've actually asked Brian Q. Miller to come back on. 
not in February because I did write him, you know, oh, your new issue's coming out. Um, instead of just talking about one issue, I wanted to, you know, do another year in review. So at the end of Steph's second year, I'd, I'd like to sit down and have another conversation. So he's definitely up for it. Um, July's going to be going to be packed uh, for him potentially. So we'll, but we'll work it out. And I'm really happy that he's open for that. And you know, I've got other interviews lined up as well. I guess this is the place to announce that. Um, Mr. Scott Betty and Chuck Dixon have both agreed to come on the show either early spring or early summer. Uh, they've kind of left it up for me, but I wanted to just hit them up in advance and see is this even a possibility and they seem really excited about it. And I'm super excited because uh, you know it's my favorite story back row year one we're going to talk about that and it'll be good um, you know doing that and then I was invited to come on and and chat about back row year one with another Gotham centric podcast I believe it's called both Gotham uh, podcast or it's Gotham Inc so it'll be I'm I'm really excited uh just to talk to the creators of my favorite story. That is that is so awesome. Okay, my next comment, and I believe my final one, and then we can get into news and then review. I'm sure you're all waiting for this. From Ori, which I thought was an awesome name. Hi, Stella. My name is Ori, and I've recently come across the podcast while I was doing research. I started a collaboration with an old friend on a story with superheroes, so I started reading comics seriously for the first time in my life. I wanted us to write a story with strong female characters, awesome, and always have liked the Batman universe, and in particular, Barbara Gordon. The first book I picked up was a trade of one of Gail Simone's Birds of Prey. Did I look out or what? I was so engrossed with the story that I instantly picked up a few more and started exploring the comics world more in general. This is how I came across your podcast. I wanted to thank you for the informative and entertaining show. Also, I want to know... Oh, I want to know why you're being so harsh on the recent Birds run. I've quite enjoyed it. Well, I just want to give you kudos. You've helped usher in a new comics fan. P.S. You'll be happy to know that the next two books on my list are Oracle Cure and Becker Year One. Well, that is awesome, uh, not only about your writing, but about... Um, getting into the comics, you know, and, and really looking for these strong uh, female characters. Uh, I did write Ori back, and I said, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry that I'm being harsh on them. I don't do it on purpose. It's just that um, Gil's writing hasn't been as strong as I know it can be, and I think the story's just kind of you know, they've lacked a little something for me. And I guess my problem is, you know, I'm looking back at the original Birds of Prey and how wonderful those were and really solid storytelling. And this is kind of like, mm, what's going on? There's, you know, there's a little piece missing to the puzzle. So not doing it on purpose, but, you know, they are, I think they're getting their flow. They're getting back there and getting better quality. So I will try to be less harsh on the birds. Um, I'm happy, um, ecstatic almost. Batgirl, year one. I love that book so much. Words cannot describe. And Oracle Cure, I've heard mixed reviews about that. So you'll have to let me know. I've actually not read it. But yeah, that's the the comments and questions. I think I've been without those for a few months. As always, if you have any comments or questions please feel free to email me at batgirltooracle at gmail.com. Okay, news. I think I have two news bits. 
First of all, from TV shows on DVD.com, the greatest villain of all comes out of the past to threaten Batman, Bruce Wayne, and all of Gotham City in Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, the first feature-length Batman Beyond movie. The sleeker, deadlier, and seemingly immortal clown prince of crime is back with his own unique brand of havoc and mayhem. While trying to uncover the Joker's secrets, the new Batman, Terry McGinnis, discovers the greatest mystery in the life of the original Caped Crusader. What happened the night he fought the Joker for the last time? When Bruce Wayne is almost killed in one of the Joker's latest attacks, Batman vows to avenge his mentor and put the Joker to rest forever. Get ready for the heart-stomping action, awesome adventure, and amazing revelations in Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Today, Warner Home Video has announced that they are releasing Batman Beyond Return of the Joker on high-definition Blu-ray disc this coming April 5th. The single-disc release is rated PG-13, so even though the subtitle of the original uncut version is missing from this new release, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that this will indeed include the controversial scenes. However, it's worth pointing out that the rear package arch, um, which you can find on my website if, if uh, well, I... We're not in the future yet, so I can't beam this into your mind. Uh, also mentions a running time of 76 minutes, which matches the first edited DVD version of the title. And the same rear box art says the video presentation is 1080pH definition. Uh, and a bunch of blather. Really, do you want to know? 4x3, uh, 1.33, 1.1 i.e. the old standard frame, uh, full frame aspect ratio, just like the first DVD release was, except in high definition. That certainly makes us wonder which edit of the feature would, will be included here. However, at the top of the rear box art, it does say quite plainly that this is the original uncut version. So we're trusting that description to be accurate. I've seen this movie before, and I thought it was great, um, but I've not seen the uncut so I will be there. I will be at Target day one and pick this puppy up. April 5th, a month, friends, from the AP Virgil exam, which is kind of scary. But anyways, uh, my next bit of news is DCX, oh dear, Bishujo Collection Batgirl Bishujo Statue, available December 20, well it says 2010 here, uh, price $59.99. The specifications, it's sculpted by Atelier Bamboo. Height, it's around 9 inches, it's made of high quality PVC plastic and it's about uh, 1 7th scale. A Kotobuyukiya, oh dear me, a Kotobuyukiya Japanese import. Batgirl is the first in a line combining DCs, superheroines, and villains with traditional Japanese stylings. Barbara appears in the Japanese Bishujo, pretty girl, style based on an original character art work piece by Sunya Yashami Yamashita. Barbara stands with one foot resting on a gargoyle, accentuating her long legs, uh, aka her gams. Uh, while she slyly spins her cape in front of her. Batgirl's long, flowing red hair is a striking contrast to her dark blue cape, especially as they both frame her beautiful Bishujo-styled face. Batgirl stands approximately 9 inches tall in 1-7 scale with an exclusive Gotham City gargoyle base. Well, this is pretty exciting. I actually don't have any... Batgirl statues. You know, I've got my little plush, which is right next to me as I record. 
but no statues. I enjoy anime, but if I want to get a Barbara Gordon statue or bust, I'm going to get a Barbara Gordon statue or bust. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be one that looks like Barbara Gordon that I see in my mind, so not, not really the anime style. But I would say, I mean, this one I commented, I think, on a couple of sites. I'm like, wow, it really looks like she's wearing uh, latex. It's just wonderful paint job, great details, and, and sculpture. So if you are into the um, the anime and and only like to see your characters like anime then i would highly recommend it finally some exciting news uh perhaps you've noticed a lack of action on the Batgirl to oracle site well i am excited and pleased to announce that we here at bto have moved to a new address that's right batgirl to oracle.net there you will be able to continue to catch up on news, episodes, music, and of course, the books. Soon I will be discontinuing my Podomatic subscription, so please check iTunes for the new feed. You will be able to tell that there is the new feed and, and which feed is the new one because it will have a new cover art by the generous Spiderfan970. Thank you very much, sir. I will be taking some of the older episodes down immediately and moving them to the new feed so I can have some wiggle room in the space category. When everything is 100% ready to go, I will produce a short announcement which will end my term at Podomatic and usher in the new age of BTO. So remember, BatgirlToOracle.net. And if you're like me and love the Control-Enter uh, shortcut there that puts in the .com, that's okay because it'll actually send you there. BatgirlToOracle.com works as well. So I will see you there, BatgirlToOracle.net. And this is in large part due to a very magnanimous man, Dustin, at TheBatmanUniverse.net without whom I would not be able to do this. So he really set me up there. So, you know, Batgirl to Oracle, definitely in association with the Batman universe. Okay, well, that is it for the news, the comments, the questions. So now, if you fast-forwarded however long you had to fast-forward, we will get to the reviews right now. So first up, we have Detective Comics, number 414, Invitation to Murder, August 1971. Writer Frank Robbins and artist Dan Heck. Also included in this issue is Legend of the Key Hook Lighthouse, Private Eye of Venus, and the Australian Code Mystery. My quote that I picked out from this uh, pair of issues, Dance, Batgirl, dance while you still can. This is your last performance on the stage of life. On the night of their first anniversary, Jason Bard is taking Barbara Gordon to go see the play Invitation to Murder. The two are shocked to find that they are the only two people in the audience. When spotting a rifle setting to shoot one of the actors, Jason stops the gunman but is knocked out. Changing into Batgirl in the darkness, Barbara tries to stop the shooter, but the gunman still manages to get away. Changing back into her civilian guise, Babs checks on Jason and finds that he is alright. Realizing that the wild shot must have hit somebody, they find that it winged Robbie Marlowe, who was viewing the play with his wife, Tiz, both referred to as the royal couple of Hollywood. After questioning the couple, they find out that they were given the tickets to a sold-out showing of the play by an anonymous admirer. And the only reason why Jason and Barbara happened to be there is because of a mix-up with the date they were going to see the show. Finding it all suspicious, Babs tells Jason to keep an eye on the couple while she goes to, quote, call the police, end quote. 
And this then continued in the next issue, Detective Comics number 415, Death Shares the Spotlight. Came out in September 1971. Writer Frank Robbins, artist Dan Heck, sorry, Don Heck, also included in this issue is Challenge of the Consumer Crusader, The Forbidden Trick, and The Case of the Finders Keepers. Continuing from the last issue, when taken out on a date by Jason Barr to see the play Invitation to Murder, the couple soon finds themselves entangled in an attempted murder of Hollywood's royal couple, Robbie and Tiz Marlowe. Leaving Jason behind to guard the starlets, Babs goes off to call the police. After the crime is reported, both Jason and Barbara begin their own investigations. This leads Batgirl to Gotham Arena, which is currently putting on a Western exhibition which features Big Chuck Walla, who is responsible for the attempt on the Marlowe's life. But shh, don't tell anyone, she doesn't know yet. Battling Walla, Batgirl and Jason learn that the reason he tried to kill Robbie was because Tiz was secretly going to marry Walla, but left him instead for Barlow, and that his attempt to murder was out of jealousy over the couple. After learning the truth and that Walla's exhibition gun is loaded with blanks, Jason knocks Walla out with one punch and he and Batgirl turn Walla over to the police. Who knew a comic would ever be written about the Liz Taylor, Eddie Fisher, and Richard Burton triangle? I swear, the royal couple in this pair of issues is supposed to be Liz Taylor and Richard Burton. I mean, the woman's name is Tiz, for goodness sake. This story starts out innocent and sweet enough, uh, with Jason bringing Babs to a sold-out show to celebrate the anniversary of the first time that they met. It's really nice to see Jason again, as it seems that we really have not seen him for quite a while. I feel bad for Jason, though. He consistently seems to be portrayed as weak. I mean, yes, he has a bum leg. I, I film on that one, kind of hurt myself at Movement Marathon, which I shall not get into. And, uh, you know, I believe that he's just so much more than this kind of this bad leg here. He, he seems to constantly be easily subdued. And as with all the other Jason Babs stories that we read, Babs is somehow able to rush off, change into Batgirl, and get back of, as Babs. I, I really don't know how she can continue to do this without someone picking up on it. But, of course, Superman only wears glasses, and it, it fools a lot of people. So I, I guess I let me pick up the salt and throw it. It's, it's okay. I enjoy the fact uh, that Jason and Babs investigate in two different manners, yet they both end up at the same point. I, I think it just shows that there are many ways to solve a case. We have the first appearance of Batgirl's mini zoom lens. How Babs ever thought she was going to make out particles on gloves of a dozen or so men zooming around the amphitheater and on horseback is beyond me. Uh, I, I, yeah, they're going to pick up the salt again and throw it. Yeah, just, just take these, you know, these story points with a grain of salt. I do have to say that the empty theater story point uh, does bother me. You know, number one, how could someone buy an entire house of theater tickets? Wicked makes $1 million each showing. There's just no way. Uh, but, you know, I suppose Big Chuck Walla has a great amount of loot stored up, so yeah, I guess he's good for it. And number two, there would still be ushers, and I'm quite sure the audience would think it strange. Well, not really the audience, but the actors would think it strange that no one was there. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, the salt, the salt, I gotcha, I gotcha. Oh, yes, and if you, my dear friends, are looking at the issue right now, take a peek at the final panel. What is with all the lines on Jason and Batgirl's faces? Did they get a little scuffed up? 
I mean, Jason, it looks like he's transforming into a bunny with a bunch of whiskers. What's up with this? Well, this story, I think, certainly seems like it could have been featured on Law and & Order, and I think that realism, you certainly have to appreciate that. We see, uh, or seem to see, I guess, burned lovers go crazy all the time. What a great day to review it, or a great month for Valentine's Day. You know, throw in some John Wilkes Booth action, dash a little Hollywood dirt, and you have a good story opportunity. Too bad Jason and Babs' date did not fare as well. I give this set of stories 8 out of 10 bats. When I come back, I will review Batgirl number 17 and Birds of Prey number 8. During the break, please enjoy another candidate for Stephanie Brown's theme song, Attack, by 30 Seconds to Mars. And now, Zias's Radio Hour. I won't suffer, be broken, get tired, or wasted, surrender to nothing.
I hope you enjoyed that, um, the third candidate, I suppose, for Stephanie Brown's theme song. Again, Attack by 30 Seconds to Mars. I promise they won't all be heavy and, and angry sounding. Well, hopefully you've made it with me this far, and uh, my gravelly throat slash voice has not annoyed you. I, I do kind of feel like I'm Carol Channing, but maybe that's just a slight exaggeration. Uh, first up, we have Batgirl number 16, The Lesson, Frogs, Snails, and Puppy Dog Tales. Writer Brian Q. Miller, artist Pere Perez, and colorist Guy Major. The quote that I pulled out, it's kind of off the wall. I usually pick these funny quotes, but... Stephanie was sleep-talking. She was about to get woken up by her mother, and she says, Kill you, Abraham Lincoln. And I just thought it was so strange that the one thing that, you know, you would mumble, out of all the things you could mumble in your sleep, it was this. And it's actually kind of cool that I just made a John Wilkes Booth reference above and that we had a theater near assassination and this connection here. But perhaps I'm a nerd and I'm embarrassing myself. Let's get into it. Uh, we begin this issue with Alfred bringing pancakes to Damien. The little creeper is hanging upside down, explaining that he only needs one to two hours of sleep like his father. Alfred explains that little boys need rest and food, but Damien tells him to leave. Damien then begins recording in his red casebook. Meanwhile, Stephanie sleeps late due to a mission for Batman Inc., which I have no clue about, so do not ask me, and is woken by her mother with waffles. Nice symmetry there. While she rushes to get ready, her mom tells her that she needs to slow down and enjoy life. Back with everyone's favorite character, uh-huh, Robin inverts a crossing guard who, according to Robin, is acting suspicious. When Batgirl joins him, they get into their normal banter while relaying different clues to the current case. It seems that several middle-class children have been kidnapped. Robin is, wah well, well, a little upset that Steph knows more than he. Batgirl and Robin goes to field trip, and Robin ends up going undercover as, gasp, a ten-year-old. The love-hate banter continues, and Steph realizes that Robin just does not know how to have fun. The case comes to a head as they find the bus driver tied and gagged, and the gaggle of students welcomes back onto the bus by the kidnappers. A little steal, a dash of fist, a cup of terrible driving by Robin, and a bushel of great driving by Batgirl, and the kids are all safe. The issue concludes with Steph and Damien almost having a moment, almost, as she shows him how to have fun at a moon bounce. Well... The downside to this issue is that Damien is in it, and we all know that I love him. The upside to the downside is that Stephanie's quirkiness and Brian Q. Miller's writing make Damien almost tolerable. As I mentioned above, I love the fact that Miller mirrored the wake-up calls of both of the characters. I was a little upset at the way Damien treated Alfred. You know, this is coming from me, who constantly tries to get students to run, uh, respect one another. But I really enjoyed the interaction between Steph and her mom. This issue was clearly a one-shot, and for that reason, I think that the case that the two were sent on was not really the greatest that a one-shot could have had. However, you know, I think this case was used as a foil for Damien and his lack of a normal, quote-unquote, normal upbringing. It, it not only showed 
us how damaged he is in a few ways, but it also showed Steph. In this way, I think that this issue really furthered their relationship. You know, the hate-kill banter the two uh, between the two is really smart, uh, though I sometimes want to beat Damien with a stick. Um, I, I, I don't know why any 10-year-old would think pulling a Sandra Bullock in speed uh, would be a good idea. Um, yeah, leave that to the, the experts like Sandra Bullock. The issue ends on a really bright and benign note, you know, with Stephanie putting aside her animosity and helping Damien in several ways. And it, it could be me, okay, uh, take, take, pinch some salt, pinch it, but Damien may actually become human someday, maybe. I mean, we've seen what happened to Cassandra, she became um, a human, so, hey, it's possible. 8.5 out of 10 bats. You know, not the best one shot I have read, but it really had great emotional, emotionally deep moments. Uh, and I wonder why such a landmark cover would have this issue behind it, though. Such a great cover. Uh, this was, of course, this month was kind of the big, uh, let's have the, the hero with their symbol behind them, uh, kind of ushering, ushering in this new age at DC. And, um, yeah, instead of a one-shot, I don't know, kind of would have liked it to have been, well, either an awesome one-shot, um, you know, a 10 out of 10 one-shot, or just why not do a regular story like a really an awesome story? But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Okay, finally to wrap uh, up the, the comic reviews, Birds of Prey number 8, The Death of Oracle Part 2, The Gauntlets, and The Guillotine. Writer Gail Simone, artist Guillaume, I believe it's Guillaume, March, and colors Nerefino. I have a couple couple quotes. I swear I'll never look at another naked thingy. Let's not make any promises you'll regret. And... I swear, the way you people get all dreamy over an ass kicking, I'll never understand. We last left the birds in a strip club with Mortis, Mammoth, and Current demanding Oracle. Mortis begins threatening to touch each of the birds, making each relive all of their regrets until Oracle steps forward. Back at Cord Tower, Babs and Batman discuss whether Batman should go and help the birds. And from another location, Calculator tells Current that it would be better to kill all of the birds if it has to come to that. Their death trumps revenge. We then see Calculator have a terrible migraine, and we all notice the after-effects of the events of Batgirl number 12. Babs reaches, or fails to reach, Hawk, something which is rather difficult since he would have had to turn off his communicator, and Batman therefore decides to go in his stead. He only has to do something he's never done before take a dive. Hawk, as it so happens, goes to the Iceberg Lounge. Hmm. In order to discuss some business. Huh. With Penguin. Huh. All the while, Penguin is threatening to de-ta-ta some waitresses if they do not learn how to charm. Isn't he such a great guy? Back at the club, Dove steps forward and says in a Spartacus-esque moment that she is Oracle. Calculator tells Current to take them all, and Helena tells Dinah that the bar is empty, a.k.a. it's time to open some whoop-you-know-what-sa. A fight ensues. Dove throws up, then quickly gets a hangover. Oh my, very quick. Babs reminisces about the mind wipe that she performed on Calculator, and Helena and Zinda find two straggling civilians and try to get them out. Batman arrives, which pleases Dinah, and the two of them do some synchronized fighting, which pleases Helena. 
As quickly as the fight started, it quickly comes to an end. Zinda, Helena, and the two civilians are captured outside by some hive agents. Batman gets hit in the face. Yeah, didn't we see that one coming? And Dinah gets touched by Mortis. Did I mention that Mortis is the genitive singular of Mors? Mortis meaning death. Babs realizes too soon that the plan has gone to pot, just as Dinah relives every moment of emotional pain in her life. Well, this was a pretty solid issue, so I think this, you know, this will make Ori happy. Um, and it seemed to go by rather quickly. I think the transitions were definitely tighter, and it was, um, it was easy to read. I like the fact that Batman seems to be taking a part in the action and involves himself more like a teammate rather than just an individual calling all the shots. He even seems to be letting Babs call all the shots, which is a nice reversal there. It was fun to see that moment where Dinah and Bruce synchronized their kicks. It was a great panel, and I, de I think it definitely elicited some great reactions. Mortis's character seemed like she was filled with empty threats, you know, until the end, that is. You know, for a few pages, she was merely threatening to touch one of the birds, going on and on about how they would be affected. But, you know, why only talk about it? Why not do it? Um... That was kind of strange. Of course, it would be Dinah uh, who was touched. You know, it seems like this volume of Burt's has really surrounded Dinah a lot. Um, and I am a big fan of Black Canary. Okay, don't get me wrong. But this book sometimes feels like it is a giant pity party for her. I mean, how many in the last eight have we talked about her past and the mistakes that she's made? And the regrets, yeah, that she's had. I'm used to the strong character that was introduced so long ago, so I kind of want to see uh, that back. I'm glad we get some answers to the calculator question that was brought up um, the last issue and the last podcast. Batgirl number 12 is referenced, but Bab seems to be the one taking the majority of the blame for what happened to Calculator, rather than bringing Wendy into the mix. I still don't really know how he got out of the comatose state that he was in. I mean, it seemed like he was practically given a lobotomy digitally. I feel like this this character, you know, uh, Calculator, his hardcore hatred for Oracle should end here somehow in this, in this storyline. I think, you know, he's been used several times lately, and I think he's been used... Um, him and his hatred for Oracle has been used too often, so I think it's time to move on for him for a little while. Babs also references uh, the mind wipe in identity that happened in Identity Crisis. Um, if you have not read that wonderful miniseries, I do recommend it. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and if you have read uh, Identity Crisis, here's a shameless plug for episode uh, 107: Views from the Long Box, hosted by Michael Bailey. And guess what? I happen to uh, to guest star on there because I love that story and we kind of have uh, two different feelings for um, the things that go on. So I definitely would uh, check that out. There were several fun moments throughout the issue including uh, some of Helena's and Zinda's comments as well as Dove's vomiting which came at a completely inopportune moment as as vomiting normally does the only random part of the book i think was the hawk and penguin business you know while it was funny to see penguin pretend to be a charming waitress just that one where he's i don't know pretending to be a delicate flower and spinning around a very interesting panel Th that scene seemed to go on for entirely too long especially when its main purpose was really to only show hawk interacting with penguin 
as for what this business is, I really have no idea. Once again, Hawk is a mystery to me. Uh, I really loved the art. I thought it was well done. And, of course, the emblematic cover is fantastic by good old Art Jam, Germ, sorry, Art Germ, who was the uh, cover artist for a lot of the Batgirl issues when I first started. I give this 9 out of 10 bats. Oh, I'm sorry, birds. Birds. I uh, wonder if each incarnation of this comic will have a storyline like this. Um, now, if you recall, there was a Hunt for Oracle storyline at the beginning of the Chuck Dixon run. And this was orchestrated by Roland Desmond, and it was the first place that Babs and Dinah actually meet face-to-face. Um, I guess we'll see what sort of surprises we will have in store in this uh, particular story. I also find it ironic that this is number eight, and number eight in volume one, um, a, a huge, huge um, Dick and Babs issue for all those shippers out there. But it is, whoo, it is a pretty penny to get number eight. Uh, just kind of find it ironic there. This one's not as uh, monumental, I don't think. So that is it for the comic reviews. Uh, Next up, I have Babs in the Tube, that wonderful segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently, of course, I am watching the 1966 Batman TV series. So this episode is episode 96. It was in season 3, episode 2, Ring Around the Riddler, came out. Uh, September 21st, 1967. Starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Madge Blake as Aunt Harriet Cooper, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Uh, guest starring, we have Joan Collins as Lorelei Searcy, a.k.a. The Siren, and Peggy Ann Garner as Betsy Boldface. The quote that I pulled out from this, there were a couple of good ones, but I just picked one. Luck is an important weapon for a woman crime fighter, Batman. And then, of course, there was a kind of funny face, so I felt like it was a sarcastic comment. But you have to watch and let me know. The Riddler attempts to take control of prize fighting in Gotham, kidnapping the current champ, Kid Gulliver, and brainwashing him into throwing his next fight. While Bruce, chairman of the Gotham City Boxing Commission, watches on TV, the Riddler robs receipts from the Gotham Square Garden box office and leaves behind a blinking metal box, which puts the cashier in a state of shock. Examining the box, Batman finds it contains a riddle about a long-buried temple in southwestern Asia. Later, Riddler, dressed in a burnous, appears on Betsy Boldface's TV show in the guise of mushy Nebuchadnezzar, Southwest Asia's supposed boxing champion. Barbara suspects it's Riddler in disguise and switching to Batgirl follows Betsy to Riddler's hideout as at a little used gymnasium where Lorelai Searcy, the siren, tries to put her under her spell. She is unsuccessful since her powerful high note, two octaves above high C, works on men only. Thus the siren. It, it comes from Homer if you are not uh, familiar, uh, the Odyssey very specifically. The Riddler then resorts to having Batgirl tied up and thrown into the steam room, but she escapes through an air vent. Meanwhile, the Batman solves two more riddles put through by Riddler over the phone, which is plugged into radio station GTZR, and accepts his challenge to a fight that night at the garden. 
There at the garden, Aunt Harriet, having returned from a trip, greets Commissioner Gordon and daughter Barbara in the audience. As the fight begins, the Cape Crusader has the advantage over the Prince of Puzzlers, but this quickly changes when he is pelted with metal filings by the Riddler and is immobilized by a giant electromagnet. Yes, that is right, folks. Hidden under the ring, activated by Betsy. While the Batman is pounded to a pulp by Riddler, Barbara, who bore witness in the audience, leaves to become Batgirl. She finds Betsy Boldface underneath the ring and shuts off the magnet, setting Batman free. The Riddler and his gang retreat hastily and dash back to their hideout, where they are immediately captured. Meanwhile, back at police HQ, Lorelai Searcy, a.k.a. the Siren, is using her melodic charms to above high C. That's pretty tough. On Commissioner Gordon. Well, there is 30 seconds, or I suppose there are 30 seconds worth of phone tag in the beginning of this this episode. I kid you not. Why would Babs not take the time to deal with the box herself? Because she's actually the first one uh, to come upon it. Um, you know, surely she could have handled it, but no, she calls Commissioner Gordon, who then calls Batman. It was very strange. Batgirl, uh, she uses vanishing cream uh, as a weapon in her arsenal. Boy, does this sound like Detective Comics number 363. And of course, that's just a corny corny reference to the fact that she um, just kind of poofs like a ninja, which is ironic since isn't Batman supposed to be the one that walks away and leaves you talking to yourself as if you were talking to him? Barbara, Barbara, it's his eye. How strange it would be. If my father came to my apartment and found me with two men dressed in tights, but apparently it's old hat for good old Commissioner Gordon. Ah, yes, camel grass juice. I shall have to ask for this the next time I go to Smoothie King. You know, I wonder if it has any good kind of echinacea qualities and will help me get over this um, Carol Channing-esque voice. Why does it seem, and hopefully it's not just me, but Batman and Robin definitely seem to prance rather than run. Um, if if you're watching this, you know I you should look at the way they quote run, uh, because it it does not look like running. A a good quote that Barbara said in this episode was, "It didn't look like a southwestern Asiatic chin to this student of history." Could you please tell me exactly what a southwestern Asiatic chin looks like? Because I don't know if I could pick it out from a lineup. Why does the Riddler have henchmen with the name Cauliflower and Kayo? This is a bit more confusing than the last episode, which had henchmen with henchman number one and henchman number two. Oh, yes, and of course, if you are listening, uh, maybe if you're a man, you should probably cover your ears when uh, the siren lets out her, her tone. Um, you may be enraptured by it, but I frankly thought my ears were going bonkers, as if I were in elementary school and having one of those hearing tests where you raise your hand and say, yeah, I can hear that tone. Oh, yes, one uh, an awesome quote that uh, Batman said before he gets into the ring with the Riddler. He says to Robin, as I thought, it's Riddler. This is ridiculous. He's smaller than you are. And Robin gives this kind of disgusted look to him. Oh, and then Babs uses the clever, uh, there's something in my eye in order to go change, uh, into her Batgirl garb, uh, and get rid of the giant magnet beneath the ring. 
And this is not like a, she's crying, I've got something in my eye, but it, it just seemed very strange. I guess, you know, the salt, I'll pick it up, I'll pick up the salt, but maybe she got a metal filing in her eye, we'll go with that, that makes sense. Oh, and then at the end, as Robin drinks some camel juice, camel grass juice, excuse me, Batman warns him to beware of strong stimulants, which is great, you take that however you want to. I, I give this episode 9 out of 10 bats. Uh, I thought it was fun, funny, and certainly full of interesting moments. And this episode, yeah, it's coming to a close. Um, well, before I completely close out, I have my literary recommendation. Uh, it's a comic. This doesn't happen very often. Superman, Batgirl, Supergirl by Jeff Loeb and, God rest his soul, Michael Turner. Superman, Batman, Supergirl is is the retelling uh, in the Superman, Batman vein um, of Supergirl coming to Earth and and how she gets used to being on Earth. You know, she gets taken to Themyscira to train to fight, and then of course Apocalypse and Darkseid come into the picture and take her, and she's made a champion. And then they return to Earth. Overall, I mean, it is an actually a really great story. I really liked the the characterization of Kara and I love that there were I guess three different settings four I guess if you want to think about it I don't really want to spoil anything but it, you know it doesn't just happen in Metropolis you know she comes over to the Themyscira and there of course there's Apocalypse and then there's uh the Kent farm and so you really get to see her and and other characters in a, in a variety of different situations. And I also liked the fact that you got to read more characters than just Supergirl, Superman, and Batman. You know, there's Wonder Woman, you have Harbinger, you have Artemis pops up, and Big Barda. Um, it, w- it was chock full of, of story, of action. I think the plot was emotional and, um, and strong. So I definitely recommend that. I then watched the DVD again, um, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, which just annoys me that they called it Apocalypse and not Batgirl. But, you know, oh, I'm sorry, not Batgirl. That that was a Freudian slip, actually. Um, Superman, Batman, Supergirl. Why they didn't call it that? But I guess they're just frightened that <sighs> putting a girl on the cover is not going to sell well. Or I guess a girl name. But it actually stays really close. There were some departures kind of near the end, I would say, uh, were the bigger, or I guess just the main departure. But I, it stayed close to it. Um, it was as entertaining as it was the first time I watched it. Uh, not my favorite. I mean, I still kind of leave that up there for the uh, New Frontier and Wonder Woman, uh, definitely. But I recommend watching that uh, as well, you know whether you read the the trade or not okay so of course um as i stated way above like an hour before you know you can send any questions or comments to badgirl to oracle at gmail.com continue to sign the petition sign it sign it if you're listening to this and you're falling asleep this is your subliminal message Go to www.gopetition.com slash petition slash backgirl dash year dash one dot html. You know, if I do go to San Diego Comic Con, or if I ever do, I suppose, and I see uh, Bruce Tim, I will shake that man's hand because I certainly do respect everything that he has done. But I will straight up ask him if they're going to make that movie, and I just want a straight answer. But I wonder how awkward that would be, though. 
I mean, envision that. You know, me walking up to him and saying, hey, you know that internet petition? Yeah, that was me. But uh, we'll see if that ever happens. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for Ring Around the Riddler. And finally, thanks to Dustin and everyone at the TheBatmanUniverse.net um, who's supported this show and uh, has now helped me uh, to get to this new place, Batgirl to Oracle.net. Of course, re- remember, look for that feed, that new feed on iTunes. Remember to stay tuned after the show to hear another candidate for Steph's theme song. This one's a more mellow song. Uh, it's a bit longer. Pink Floyd, if you're a Pink Floyd fan, fan it is Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. Um, first time I heard this song was actually in The Departed, which is a great movie, by the way. Okay, until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. (sighs) I love a happy ending, don't you?
down 